reading of God's Word as we turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for a new series that we just uh, briefly began last week, but now we turn to the whole of it, beginning with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of God received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Amen. Please be seated. I was told by my seminary professor that no pastor should preach through the book of Romans or Hebrews until they have been a pastor for 20 years, which is a very seminary professor thing to say. But I plan to violate that principle because, one, well, I've not been a pastor for 20 years, and, well, the other, because what do seminary professors know anyway, all right? Don't students always think that they know better than their teachers? But in my defense, I plan to only teach one chapter of this book, a small part, but a glorious part of the Word of God. And I think my professor said this because this is indeed a challenging book next to the book of Revelation. There probably is no more difficult book in the entirety of the New Testament. It's a very technical book, meaning that you need a a good grasp of the Old Testament and the Old Testament worship and law to make sense of it. But at the same time, I would say that there is hardly any more glorious books in all of Scripture than the book of Hebrews because it so mightily exalts Christ. If there was any misconception of who Christ was or is, the book of Hebrews clears it up. He is the exalted Son of God, the all-encompassing King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of all mankind. And the author of Hebrews makes no qualms about it. Jesus is more glorious than all who preceded him, all who come after him. And will be worshipped forever and ever. He is the most exalted of men because he is the God-man. John Calvin, who is no slouch of an exegete, said this, There is indeed no book in Holy Scripture which speaks so clearly, so splendidly, more adequately, explains more fully than the epistle to the Hebrews. In other words, to know Christ, to know the Word made flesh, we cannot ignore this book. It's joy to have it as a part of our Scripture and to study it. And our plan is to look at only this glorious chapter of faith, but I would commend all of the book to you for your study and for your consideration. If you want to Know Jesus in this new year. You can do no better than to go to the book of Hebrews. But why chapter 11? Well, this is an in-depth study in the essence and nature of faith, what it means to walk by faith. Not just having faith, but living by faith. Not just once in a while, but all of the time. And that is what is so very crucial to the Christian life. In fact, we could define the Christian life as a life of faith. 
We really can't define it any more simply than that. But at the same time, that may be simple. At the same time, it's very much all-encompassing. One commentator puts it, faith is the key that unlocks the door to eternal life, the channel by which we receive all the benefits of Christ, and the cup which he pours all his blessings. In other words, faith is from beginning to end and everywhere in between. It is the Christian life. And I can't think of a more important subject matter to set our minds upon as a church than this, at this crucial juncture in the life of this church, that we need to be rock solid on this, not only in belief, but in action, that this would truly be God's word to us, that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall be live by faith. It's our delight to learn what that means, to live by faith, and to do so together, using the examples of those that have gone before us that are laid out so wonderfully in this chapter. So as we look at this first passage, verses 1 through 3, we'll see it in two parts, two points. Faith's definition, and then faith's foundation. First, faith's definition. We're often told, rightly so, that we need to define our terms, and that's an important thing to do in many ways, but it's probably no more important than when we use the word faith, because people use that term, faith, all the time. In fact, it's quite acceptable to use the term faith in our culture, isn't it not? The problem is the world's concept of faith, if you can even put it that way, is, is a nonspecific, nebulous, kind of gobbledygook concept of positivity and good hope and an optimistic outlook. Faith really can mean a whole host of things, can it not? It really means in our culture, whatever is kind of important to you. That's why we hear my faith and your faith and his faith and her faith. Faith is seen as very much an individualistic thing. It's a catch-all, so to speak, of personal belief. And as such, therefore, it cannot be questioned. It's sacrosanct, as they say, which really demonstrates the, the heights or perhaps better, the depths of our individualism in this Western culture. Yet we are told to quote an 80s musician, we just got to have faith. Faith to faith to faith, right? If you don't know that song, well, you're not missing much. From, trust me. But the question needs to be asked is, faith in what? What are we to have faith in? That's the one question that I wanted to ask all the political candidates this last year who told us that their faith was very important to them, but did they ever define their faith? No. Did they really ever talk about their faith? I didn't hear it. But yet, supposedly, their faith is important 
to them. See, no one has a problem with that kind of faith. That is culturally acceptable. But you talk about the biblical faith, or even go as far to say the faith, well, that becomes a whole lot less acceptable, doesn't it? But that is what we're talking about when we talk about faith. We're not talking about a a nebulous feeling of some made-up subjective importance to you. We're talking about faith in an objective reality, a faithful and truthful objective reality, namely God and his word. And that is important because we would say faith is only as good as its object. And therefore, faith in an object outside of the God of the Bible is the best unreliable and reality is no faith at all. It really is faith in faith or belief in belief. And that would be true of ours if God was not real or if he was not truthful or if he was not reliable or faithful. Essentially, if God was not God, then our faith would really not be much better than anything else that the world would be able to offer. But because our faith is not in the things that can let us down, the things that can fail, the earthly things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but is in God, the one who has revealed himself, but not only revealed himself, but has proven himself to be faithful in all things, then our faith is in a sure and reliable source. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is so very important. It's a verse that is well known, but unfortunately not well understood. What is the author of Hebrews trying to say when he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but the conviction of things not seen? Well, I don't think that he is trying to give an all-comprehensive definition. Rather, he's trying to give an introduction into what the this whole chapter is to be about, what we're to consider when we think uh, about this life of faith or walking in faith. And so what is the author of Hebrews trying to say here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Well, it is difficult in some ways because that word that the author uses, faith is the the Greek word is hypostasis, is very difficult to translate. It can have a range of meanings. And so the ESV, which I'm using here, uses the word assurance. Perhaps you have a translation that says certainty or reality. But I think the very best definition that we can use or the best translation is actually the King James Version, or the New King James Version, which says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what the author, I think, is trying to convey is that to have a biblical faith 
we're saying that there is a substance, there is a weightiness, a reality to that which we believe in, that which we have faith in. In other words, it's the opposite of the word. Here's a blast from the past, so to speak. The the Hebrew word havel, do you remember that word? You're probably thinking, how could I forget? You said it a thousand times when we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes. But just in case you forgot, I'll remind you. Havel, havel, all is havel. Usually it's translated vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And as we looked at that book of the Bible, we saw that the preacher was trying to say that this world, everything under the sun is but vanity. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. And I bring that up because I think the author of Hebrews is saying the exact opposite. That we're not to have our faith in the havel of this life, the, the midst of this life that's going to be here today, that seems so substantive, but tomorrow it may not. But rather, our faith is to be in the hypostasis, the, the real substance, the weightiness, the staying power of the entire universe. That there is something, or we would even say somebody, that is holding it all together. And if he didn't hold it all together, then we would have nothing to stand upon. That our life would just be free-floating, like a mist, like a vapor, here today, but gone tomorrow. But since there is a substance, a weightiness, there is a spiritual reality, a spiritual realm, you could say, though it is unseen, that it is more real to us than anything that we can see. So much so that this spiritual completely alters our physical reality. In other words, this spiritual reality changes your life and the way you live it day by day, moment by moment. Why? Because it's more real than, quote-unquote, reality itself. Think about it. What part of your life has a spiritual component to it? If you have truly a Christian worldview, then you would say, well, all of it has a spiritual component to it. The Scripture says that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all to the glory of God. Something as basic as eating and drinking is to be done with a, a spiritual mindset, with a spiritual worldview. That there's not one area of life that is not affected by God, by the way that we think and, and live our lives in, in the light and view of who God is. To quote a Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper, there is not one square inch of the entirety of the whole of the universe that God does not say, mine. If we can add to that as a Christian, there's not one square inch of your life where you're not to say, his. It all belongs to him. That is the in-depth, all-encompassing nature of this faith that we speak of. 
and yet it is in something or somebody that we do not see. That's radical. Many would even say in this world that that is insane. But we know God. It's part of our purpose statement. If you're with us this morning, we began to look at that, what it means to know God. We know God not because we have seen him with our physical eyes, but because we have seen him with the eyes of faith. We know God not because we have heard him with our physical ears audibly, but because we have heard his voice through the word of God, and we have the ears of faith. We know God not because we have been physically touched by him, or not that we have physically touched him, but because he has, in a sense, touched us with the newness of life, of regeneration. It gave us this faith. And so we have these eyes and ears, this touch of faith given to us in the Scriptures. And we would say that that is more reliable than these eyes or these ears or these hands. Why? Because these eyes and ears and hands can all be deceived because they're connected to a heart and mind that is deceived about what is truly reality. But the faith that we talk about is from God. It's from above. It is a gift of his, not by works lest any man should boast. And that gift of God has us to see and to hear and to experience this new reality, this sure substance that is God Almighty. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is saying, that we have a substance. And therefore, since we have this substance or this evidence, even though we cannot see it, it gives us a sure hope. It gives us a sure conviction. See, this life is distorted, isn't it? It's a distorted reality. Haven't we seen that again this week of those desperately trying to hold on to things of this life, to power, to control, to whatever it is? It's vanity. It really is. Don't get me wrong. It's on both sides of our faith, Christian faith. It's not to be there. It's not to be placed on anything under the sun, anything that is visible or tangible in that sense, but in God alone. There is the true substance. There is the true weightiness. That is where we try true conviction of life and even of death. And therefore, it's not a blind faith, as many say it is. No, it's a faith full of knowledge, knowledge of who God is. We walk by faith. And walking by faith means being obedient in the present. And it's small, obedient steps of faith. And oftentimes that means that we don't always fully understand the path that God has us to go on. The life of Faith is very rarely one that we know 10 steps ahead. God very rarely gives us insight into the next 
10 years, does he? Or five, or, or even one. In many ways, we don't even know what the rest of the day holds, do we? And surely not tomorrow, but rather we are told that he is a lamp unto our feet and a light, but not a floodlight, to our path. And the question is when we walk by faith, is am I willing to trust him in the present? And am I willing to take that next step of obedience, even if I don't understand? even if I don't completely know where this is going or where this is leading. But I will trust and I'll believe because I know the one that leads me is faithful, that he is real, that he is the true substance of my life. That's faith, beloved. And so let me ask you, is that the faith that you have? Is there a substance, a weightiness to your faith that changes everything? Do you say this morning, if I have Jesus, then I have everything? And if I do not have Jesus, then I have nothing? That's what I think Hebrews chapter 11 is speaking about. And I'm not so necessarily concerned if you can define faith in the most theological, precise way because I would much rather have your life define your faith. And we need a life-defining faith every day, every moment. Every moment that we have determines that. Are we looking to Jesus? Are we trusting in him? Are we placing our confidence, our, our hope fully in him? And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because we're very much in the flesh, and we're fleshly. And we like to use our, our minds and our hearts and our eyes and the things that we can see. And sometimes those things are just not there or they go counter to what we are being called to do. But yet, will we go, in a sense, counter to the things that we feel and sense and think and do because we know that this is the path of obedience, looking to Jesus and Jesus alone. There, beloved, is the only place that we can have true hope and true faith. Notice in verse 2, the author says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And he's going to go on to, to lay out these people of old and how they received this commendation of God. But I would just say from this point at the very beginning, we would say, this is what God is pleased in. This is how we please God. In fact, at the very end of your journey, when it's all said and done, when you meet the Lord, what is he going to say to you? Well done, good and beautiful servant. No. Well done, good and happy servant. No. Well done, good and powerful servant. No. Well done, good and popular servants. No. Well done, good and faithful servant. Full of faith. That is what is pleasing to the Lord. Those are the ones that God has his eyes upon that are not trying to understand it all or figure it all out, but are walking by faith, that simple childlike faith every day. 
as it goes on to say in verse 6, as we'll hear in two weeks, without faith it's impossible to please God. And the opposite is very much true with faith. It is possible to please God. And I would say more than possible. We are pleasing to God when we walk by faith. And that should be an encouragement to you. Because many of you are doing that. Every day, walking by faith, and that is pleasing to God. How awesome is that, that we live in the fatherly approval, the fatherly smile of God Almighty as we live by faith. Some of you could never win the approval of your earthly fathers, but that's not true of God. You're pleasing as Jesus is pleasing to him. You live and walk in that faith, in that reality every day. Well, second then we see here, as he says in verse 3, the faith's foundation. The author of Hebrews here puts this statement of faith to the test. And says this has always been the substance of our faith. In fact, it goes all the way back to creation when he says in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. We could spend the rest of our time and try to defend that the the view of a creator and creation and intelligent design is wonderful arguments of legitimacy that should be believed and should be upheld, but I don't think that's ultimately the point of this passage. Not that that isn't a point, or not that that isn't something that we should believe in and hold to. But what is saying here is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the very opening line of Scripture. You might say it's the opening line of faith as well. It's the foundation of faith. If you go astray here, you'll go astray on everything else. And we believe that God, out of nothing in the space of six days created the world and all very well. Now, I believe that personally, not because I'm a scientific Neanderthal or because I've been convinced by wonderful arguments of intelligent design. I believe that because I can't look at creation without seeing the Creator. If you've ever held a newborn baby and you understand and see something that is beyond and if you haven't held a newborn baby lately Kristen will sign you up for the nursery we got a lot that you can hold and need you too but if you've ever held a newborn child or or gazed at a sunset or looked under a microscope or looked to the heavens And you have to say that this surely is of God. You can't come to any other conclusions than to say that this has the fingerprints of the divine all upon it. And that is the foundation of faith. Because when we think about walking by faith, as I said earlier, sometimes it's hard to do. But all we need to do is really look around and say, look, he's made all of this, including You and me. Why should I doubt? 
this very moment, he's filling my lungs with air. He's created my mind in order to think. Am I going to now use that brain that he has made to doubt him? That's the height of foolishness. We've got to trust our creator who has made the world that faithfully has the sun to, to rise and to set every single day, so much so that you can, you can time your, your wristwatch by it. He is so faithful. Will we not be faithful in these things, these matters of life that we so difficult for us to hand over and give to him? That's what we're saying. How can we not trust the very one that's given us life, given us breath, has given us everything that we need on a daily basis? But I think there's something even more fundamental as well that we should not miss. It says that the universe was created by the word of God. See that in verse 3? And this really is in companion with what he says at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 3, when he says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We can know that because he has created all of this and sustains all of this by his word, then his word is sufficient for me. Now, this word that he's given to us in Holy Scripture, no, it's not meant to be a science book or a history book or a math book, but it's everything I need for life and godliness, and in that it is sufficient. And therefore, what a joy it is to return to it again and again. What a joy it is for myself and Pastor Myers to, to preach and teach this wonderful book, this wonderful word, this word of God that is given to you. And that is what you need as the people of God. You, you don't need more stories from me. You definitely don't need more politics. You need the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is that which brings life and that which sustains it. It's that which is sustaining you. So as we begin this new year, won't you be committed to that again? And if you are already committed to that, then I encourage you to, to carry on. That that is the life of faith as we continue to, to hear his word and to know that word. And you're in the right place to do so with others that, that love to gather around this word at men's studies and women's studies. And it's an encouragement for us, for, for you to be doing that at home, to study and to meditate and memorize the, the Word of God. This is how we, we know and grow and show. It's no secret at all. It's the Word of God given to us. As Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds at the mouth of our God. That's where we look. That's where we return. Again and again and again. That's how our faith is built up. And so as we conclude how is it that we can be so sure in our faith? This life-altering, life-defining faith. Because we're saying that which we believe changes the course of eternity. So you better be right. How can we have such confidence, such conviction in that? Well, pastor, theologian, Sinclair Ferguson had a good analogy. He says it's like a 
father at nighttime, hearing his son, who should be sleeping, but is instead crying. And the father goes in to see what is the matter, and he sees that the boy indeed is at the end of his bed crying, and he asks the son, son, what, what is it? The boy says, well, daddy, all the, the boys in the neighborhood have bikes, and I don't have a bike. And the father, being a good father, says to the boy, well, son, your birthday is coming. You'll get a bike. And what happens? Well, no more than two minutes later, the boy is back sleeping again. Why? Because he knows that even though he does not have the bike, it is as if he did have it. Because his trust is in the one who sit it. And that's the same thing with our God, is it not? We trust in what he has said because we know the one who has said it. And he is faithful and he is reliable and therefore our faith is not a hope so. It's a sure and steady hope in the very substance of the universe itself. And we trust him innately just like a child would trust their father. That is faith. Do you have such a faith? Do you know your father in this way? And can you trust him? Have you seen him and heard him with these eyes and ears of faith? Because Jesus said, blessed are those that have not seen and yet believe. And it's blessed because that is the path of faith. That is the path of obedience that he calls us on. Because faith, indeed, is the substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Join me in prayer. Lord, would you have us to know this faith, this wonderful gift that you have given to us, that which you have planted into our hearts and our minds, Lord, each and every one of us would say we believe, but help us in our unbelief. And Lord, that would be our prayer this morning, that we are convicted, we are encouraged by this word, Lord, that we would walk not by sight, but by faith, faith in you, who is truly the foundation for our feet. And Lord, when we don't quite understand if the next step that you would have us to be on, would we faithfully step anyway? knowing that you are truthful and that you are good and that you are reliable, that you give us the air in which to breathe and the life that, which sustains us. And so in the same way, Lord, you sustain us in every way. And so, Lord, we look to you again. Lord, would you create in us that childlike faith of trust that is growing, that is increasing, that is believing more and more. And would you help us, O oh Lord, to be pleasing to you by living a life that you say that you commend a life by faith, to be good and faithful servants, all for your, your glory and by your grace, we pray in Christ's name, amen.